Hello and welcome to MikeyPod. I'm your host, Michael Heron, and today is October 15th, 2015. This is episode 195. We're closing in on 200 episodes of this thing, which I guess isn't so exciting considering I've been at it for 10 years. But you know, it's on, it's off. It's mostly on lately, right? Pretty good. I'd love to hear from you. I mean, love. You can email me at MikeyPod at gmail.com or I'm on Facebook, Twitter. Send me a message. Tell me you're listening to this. Listen, I'm having one of those mornings where I'm like, what? Why do I do any of the things I do? Because it's showing for a paycheck, honey. Okay, I just need to get that out of my system. So if you're listening, tell me. Let me know. Let me hear from you. I'd, it'd be terrible if I lit myself on fire or something at some point. So today's guest, Sherry Kolb, wrote the book, Mind If I Ordered the Cheeseburger? Did I say that already? If I didn't, or even if I did, it's good to say it again. Um, I really love this conversation we had. And this podcast in particular is making me think, what is this a creative people podcast or is this a vegan people podcast? The answer is Yes. So, right after this track from Noah Hofield, oh man, yeah, I, I must be saying his last name right. You know those internet people that you're like, wait a minute, I've never spoken that word, I've only been reading it. Noah Hofield is a cellist and a uh, singer, he writes songs, his album is called Play Human, and uh, here's a track from it, it's called Stop, Slow Down, and after this, we'll hear from Sherry. Stop. 
Welcoming to the show, Sherry F. Kolb. She's a professor of law and Charles Evans Hughes scholar at Cornell University, where she teaches and writes about animal rights, criminal procedure, and evidence. She writes about animal rights and other issues in her bi-weekly column for the web journal Verdict, and she blogs at Dorfin Law. Sherry lives in Ithaca, New York, with her husband, two daughters, and three mixed-breed rescue dogs, and she's written the book, Mind If I Order the Cheeseburger, which we'll be talking about today. Um, welcome to the show, Sherry. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. Oh, so happy to talk to you. Um, the, so many things to talk to you about. <laughs> Your <laughs> book is so great. The thing that like is Thank really eye-opening and sort of heavy for me about the book is that a lot of these questions that, well, maybe we should say what the premise of the book is, and it's really in the subtitle. It's called Mind If I Order the Cheeseburger and Other Questions People Ask Vegans. And a lot of questions are the type of questions that when I'm asked them, I become annoyed <laughs> and I immediately think it's someone just trying to troll me basically. Yeah. But, but you take the time with each of these questions and, and, and treat them as valid questions, which really they are on some level. And, and I'm quick to dismiss these. Was that part of your uh, point for writing the book? Yes, it definitely was. Um, I mean, I'm as guilty of the next person of thinking, wow, can, can this person really be asking me this, this quite ridiculous question? <laughs> um, and so what I decided to do with the book was to really sit with the questions and take them seriously and try to respond to them in as good faith a way as I could. Um, even though, you know, and I'm not always my best self. And sometimes somebody asks me a question. I'm like, no, you can't be asking me that question. Right. But for the book, I really dwelt with each of the questions and tried to put the best face on it that I could and take it seriously and assume that it was coming from a good place and then answer it with that in mind. And as, as um, not activists isn't the word I'm looking for, advocates for veganism, that's really a great approach that I often forget too. That like, you know, a lot of times people really haven't thought about the particular question that we've heard hundreds, <laughs> if not thousands of times. Oh, absolutely. People will ask where you get your protein and you'll think it's got to be like a gag because the question <laughs> is so stereotypical. Yeah. Yet they really don't know. They imagine that you know, one has to eat animal products to get protein. And so, you know, if you answer by saying, oh, yeah, I forgot, I, I guess I don't get enough protein as a joke, then they think that's true. And Right. Or they think you're just being a jerk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the other alternative. <laughs> that. Yeah. And I think everybody needs to have, you know, spaces where they can be themselves and just sort of say, you're not going to believe the questions I got today. But that when we're doing advocacy, I think it's true that the best way to do it is, to take the question seriously, to treat it with respect and to answer it as fully as one can. Yeah, there was. A, and in answering the questions, you know, like uh, there's a little spot I marked I wanted to ask about. It was a, in the um, don't animals eat other animals chapter. Yes, there's the um, these are the these are the moments where I'm I feel unscholarly. So forgive <laughs> me. Um, there's a name for this. Um, Ah, I'm so scared. Reductio ad absurdum. Did yes, I even come close? You said it right. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, but I love the way you broke that down and why that question doesn't exactly make sense or, or why that reduction doesn't make sense. Where, where you take the you say that lying is always wrong and run it through um, 
Maybe you can explain that better than I can. No. Um, okay. So reduct. I think you explained it fine. But reductio ad absurdum is that you take a position that you find to be, you know, wrong, um, and then you basically draw out the logical steps following from that position and you show that it ends up with an absurd result. And for that reason, the proposition that you started with has to be wrong because it led you to an absurd result. And I think people do that with veganism. They say, you know, and people say this all the time. And I'm, I'm really surprised because I tend to be, you know, to surround myself in my, in my home and close friendships with people who, you know, already have opened their eyes to a lot of this stuff. But people outside of that circle really haven't. And so, um, you know, so people will say, well, animals, you know, lions eat other animals. And so this woman at this dinner that I attended um, heard about that I was working on a book and she said, oh, well, you know, so you don't eat animals, but, you know, you think it's unethical, so you must think lions are unethical. And so, you know, she was doing a kind of reductio ad absurdum argument that if I, you know, that since humans are like lions and we're animals too, it follows that if we think it's unethical for us to eat animals, it must be unethical for lions. As you get this absurd position that nobody holds, which is that lions are unethical for eating other animals. Um, And so I tried to kind of address each step of that particular argument to show that it's a faulty one, um, starting with, you know, we're not lions, but you know, there's Mm -hmm. more to it than that. Right. That's that. I think the thing that I walked away from that section with was, you know, when, when people ask that about, well, do you think lions are immoral? Really? It's not about, um, arguing that question. It's about restating the question, right? It's like, it, like because the next part, you, it starts with you believe that humans ought to extend our moral consideration beyond our own species to include other animals, and then sort of into and it just sort of I don't know like <laughs> this the thing that's so great for me is it really gives me something new to think about yeah and 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 I think I get stuck in either that's a stupid question when someone asks about lions being immoral or don't lions eat zebras and and that type of thing when really. Yeah, they do, but they don't have the same type of reasoning or ethics that we have as humans. Absolutely. And of course, people generally don't try to emulate lions in their everyday lives. So there's something kind of peculiar about suddenly turning to lions as a source of moral guidance. Yeah. And, you know, but again, that, you know, that sort of if we say we, the best way to put that, I think, is to say that, you know, there are a lot of things that naturally happen that people do and that other animals do that we would not want to emulate. So, you know, a, a lion will also potentially destroy all of the cubs of a female that he's just um, decided to be with. And that's certainly not something that we would proposed that people should be doing or we, we wouldn't say well if you're getting married to somebody new then you then it's fine for you to kill all of her children from the other uh, from her last spouse yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um but you know i think 
I think the temptation is to say you don't really believe that and that what I try to do is to assume that, well, if the person says it, then, you know, they mean it and they think this is a good question. A lot of times this person hasn't interacted with a lot of vegans before. And so this is kind of a defensive reaction to the first meeting with somebody who says you don't have to eat the way you do. And so they're saying, well, um, but lions do it. And so you want to say, okay, well, that's an argument about what lions do. So let's look at how humans differ from lions in in all sorts of ways and how that might bear on this question without having to indict the lion. Your approach, I mean, both logically, of course, is solid, but I love the way the book and the way you're talking now isn't, you know, uh, my default, and I think for a lot of vegans, is to be like the the lion question or whatever question comes up to be like, oh yeah, well, what about this? And like suddenly (laughs) we're in this, oh yeah thing, you know, like throwing things back and forth. But you have such a very calm, unemotional, huh, interesting question. Take a look at these other facts, you know, like it it feels like such a, like a nice way (laughs) to not get. (laughs) Thank you. I I mean, I, I think it's important because I mean, the way I once heard it described is that you can't win a relationship. You can only win an, a fight. And so if you're, if you're talking with somebody about these issues and you try to beat them, then you might feel like you prevailed because you made better arguments. But if the person walks away feeling like, well, I hate that person and I'm not going <laughs> to do anything, I'm going to go and eat a steak just to spite her, then you know, I've failed in my, in my attempts at advocacy. That's, yeah, yes. (laughs) Uh, Was there any chapter in the book that specifically stood out for you in in terms of being something that that you you taught yourself something in writing it? Yeah, actually, the abortion chapter, I think, because I hadn't really given that much thought to the question. I, I mean, I'd thought a lot about abortion rights, and I've written about, you know, about the right to choice. And um, I also... Uh, had been vegan for for quite a while, and um, and people had asked me, well, you know, what about abortion? I mean, why aren't you pro life? And I decided this would be a good opportunity to really think about that and to be prepared. You know, if I concluded that it was inconsistent of me, that maybe I need to change my view. And so um, I ultimately didn't change my view in terms of being pro choice, but I did start to think about late term abortions in a way that I think is more sort of consistent with my thinking about hurting animals, which is I think that some late-term abortions can be unethical once the fetus is sentient, but that it has to be still up to the woman to decide what she's going to do because of the imposition on her bodily integrity. So it really made me kind of think about the issue in new ways. Mm. And I now have a, a book coming out with um, with Michael Dorff that we co-wrote um, called Beating Hearts, Animal Rights and Abortion and Animal Rights. And that's going to be coming out in, I think, in March. That is such an interesting topic. You know, like I, I was out at some Kaporis demonstrations, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but that was one of the questions a lot of the, um, the opposing people were throwing at us. Like, well, what about abortion? And there's also what about Syria and what about and <laughs> and honestly, like after reading your uh, article, which I, I'm like, but I don't want to bring it up yet. Um, yeah. I, I have a like a different perspective about that particular protest. But I had a conversation with a man who did ask me, uh, like, well, are you in favor of abortion? 
And it was really interesting to sort of stop and in some way, maybe I, I, I had a, I had a Sherry moment, I guess, not knowing <laughs> that it was a Sherry moment yeah. where I, where I, I said, do you really want, I, I asked why he was asking that. And then he sort of said, well, it's death, blah, blah, blah. And then I just decided to answer that. No, I'm not in favor of abortion, but I'm also, I don't feel it, I have the right to tell someone whether or not they can have an abortion. So I'm pro-choice, but it's a, in my mind, I haven't worked out the conflict yet. Like yeah. it, it was a really, inter- it was interesting answering the question in an honest way like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because his response, his, like he immediately deflated and said, oh, no one's ever said that before. Wow. Like, usually it's, you know, like, and then we had, we didn't agree about what, what was happening with the chickens but it was a, an interesting moment of, I don't know, I think. Well, it sounded like you connected with him. Yeah. You had yeah. a moment of connection. Because um, when, you, when, you, when you take a person's question seriously and you really try to answer it honestly, that person can tell that you're actually listening to him. Because mm-hmm. so, I think so many conversations are just people waiting in line to say what they plan to say and not really listening to what the other person is saying and that if you can have a moment like that with him, then he might not agree with you that day, but he might give it some more thought because here's this thoughtful person who is willing to, you know, to really interrogate his own views and be honest with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And there wasn't a lot of that happening that night, (laughs) you know, (laughs) as you might imagine. Um, so let's let's talk about Kaporis. Sure. Um, and um, it's it's a ritual whereby um, and it's I'm see, I'm always concerned about saying describing this improperly. It's it's the Hasidic community that that does this, right? It's the Orthodox Jewish ritual. Yeah, it's of, it's typically ultra Orthodox who do the. I mean the the most um, Orthodox understand it to be you know, that you can do it through money. Um, Mm -hmm. So you're basically trying to take your sins and put them on something else. And that's it's like a sacrifice. And then that thing that the, the sins adhere to that thing rather than to you. And, and that so the but the way that the ultra orthodox or some not all ultra orthodox some of the ultra orthodox do it through money, but others because it's a custom um, do it with a chicken and and they essentially place their sins on the chicken and then kill the chicken mm-hmm. as a sacrifice. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, the idea of somebody dying for one's sins is, is very old. It's the whole sort of premise for Christianity that, you know, Jesus was innocent, but took on the sins of everybody and then was killed. So that's, you know, sort of the, the idea is, is not unique to Judaism, but it's, it's obviously this is an example of, of animal sacrifice um, as a, atonement. Right. <clears throat> so in your article, uh, it, you make some really good points. And I read this like I was fired up, <laughs> ready <laughs> for like two nights of protesting. And, and it's horrendous. Like going out there, it's the it is the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, and, um, but like you point out some problems with, like, I almost want to just let you, I, so you wrote a whole article about it, so it's probably not easy to summarize, but right. are, are there a couple of like points you can make about why it's a problem for us? 
Well, here's where I think it's a problem. I think that it's very easy to see what a foreign group, whether it's a different religion or whether it's a particular sect of a religion that we that that's really outside of our familiarity, outside of our comfort zone, it's easy to say, oh, well, that group is doing something really outrageous. And, of course, I agree that taking chickens and holding them by their feet and then and and then killing them is is terrible but i think that it's really not different from what happens at any chicken processing plant mm-hmm. and so i think our tendency and and the tendency not just of 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 vegans but of people who actually eat animals and eat chickens is to say well you know at least i get mine from a slaughterhouse and they're killing it for food but here this crazy thing where people are killing it for their sins and i don't think the distinction really matters i think if one is a chicken that being slaughtered is terrible and and looks very much the same Mm -hmm. in, in both contexts and yet the people who are eating a chicken sandwich get to come and point fingers at the ultra-Orthodox Jews and say, you're doing something really terrible when, you know, what's happening to create the chicken sandwich is just as bad. Um, when, I was, when I was clerking for the Supreme Court many years ago, um, there was a case that came before the court, uh, Church of Lakumi, and this was about a, an ordinance in Hialeah, Florida, which prohibited animal sacrifice. And it was specifically targeted at the Santeria religion because the Santeria religion involves animal sacrifice and people were really turned off by the appearance of there would be animals who were slaughtered in the street. And and so what they did was they passed what they thought of as an animal cruelty law that prohibited animal sacrifice. But it was very clear from the preamble to the law that it was all about going after Santeria. And what the Supreme Court ultimately decided in that case was that you cannot discriminate um, on the basis of religion and that that's exactly what the people of Hialeah, Florida were doing. They weren't really pursuing um, animal cruelty in a neutral fashion. They were selecting a group of people who were different and just enforcing an ethic of animal cruelty against those people, but not against themselves. So that's that's sort of what I was um, trying to get at in the article, that I think it's very easy to point the finger at somebody who's different and say, oh, look at those people, they they fight dogs, or look at those people, they have bullfights, or you know, look at those people, they sacrifice animals. When all of these practices are really versions of the same thing, which is commodifying animals and deciding that they can be slaughtered in order to meet our desires when we could easily meet those desires without hurting animals. So with that in mind, like part of what happened for me when I read your article was um, that I was like, well, forget it. Like, then I just won't advocate for anything, you know, like, (laughs) which is like just the way people do and especially me. And then I obviously got to the other side of that, but I still have the question, like what, is there a most effective way to advocate for animals? You know, like, and, and all of those points, when I read the article, I really felt this feeling like our mutual friend Evan posted it and I hadn't seen it. And he just sort of, he's very good with me about like, Hey, take a look at this article. (laughs) (laughs) And I read it with a little bit of like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, the thing. And, um, and as I read it, I was like, okay. And there's, there's a whole, 
idea, I think you touched on this a little, the idea that this is a group of others that we're singling out. And it's easy in some ways, well, in most ways, it's easier for me to point to the ultra-Orthodox community and say, look what those people are doing. And I can get even my meat-eating friends, who I'm normally feeling at odds with, on my side about something with animals. But it's not consistent which is what I got from your article. And, it, and, I, and I sort of deflated about the whole idea of protesting. And then I decided to do it anyway yeah. because I had already committed to be there. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> but what, like, with all of that in mind, do you have like, an idea of what would be an ideal form of um, advocacy for animals? That's her, that's the uh, that's the million dollar question. I um, I don't know what the perfect form of advocacy. I think that lots of people do advocacy in different ways, and that they can all be effective. And I guess my point about the Kaparos was less about efficacy than my concern about discrimination, and that I think it's really important as advocates for the vulnerable that we not target the vulnerable in the process of that advocacy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you see, you know, really sexist ads or whatever for, you know, an organization that will remain nameless, but, you know, you can see sexist ads that are meant to encourage people to go vegan. But I don't, I don't think we want to encourage people to go vegan by targeting women or by making fun of women who are of different sizes or whatever that I think that that's, not a a kind of, that's not a method of integrity for for me. But in terms of efficacy, I think people, I think communicating with people in a, in a peaceful way and, and serving as an example can be very effective. And it sounds like the conversation that you had with that gentleman at the Kaparos ceremony might have been a very effective form of advocacy. Just listening to him, you know, when he brought up abortion, he may have initially thought, oh, well, I'm just going to throw something at him. And you actually listened to the question and tried to answer it honestly. And that really might have been the most effective thing that happened at the protest. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think that the the risk of othering, and, you, you know, you described that well, that, that here are these others and everybody can get on board with pointing a finger at them. But at some point it starts to seem really cruel and unfair and that, you know, if the goal is to try to get people to stop doing kaparos, in a way, you, if addressing them and talking to them about it could potentially be very effective. I think if somebody from that inside that community were to write an article for them or talk to them or even leaflet and say, you know, here I am, I'm a member of this community and I, you know, I feel that Kaparos isn't right and we don't even need to do it through a chicken because we can do it with money. And so it, wouldn't it be great to spare? And there's a whole there's a whole strain of thought within Judaism, um, which in Hebrew is called Tsar Balei Chaim, which means um, the p- pain on the part of living creatures. And, and there's a lot about avoiding causing suffering to animals. So if somebody were able to kind of come from within that and try to address people rather than seeming to, um, you know, to say, well, you're disgusting and you're terrible and what you do is, is, is awful. I, I, I tend to think that, that that may just sort of drum up antipathy. And I see sometimes when people post things about Kaparos that people write, oh, God, those Jews are so disgusting. And, and I just feel like, oh, my God, that's horrible. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's <clears throat> the last thing. 
that I want to see and, you know, in the comments part. It's, it's easy to go there. I, and I'll just tell on myself in this situation and your article really put me in a different mindset than I would have been, you know, like, because I caught myself in, in that really sort of, uh, disdain for a group of people, um, which isn't, helpful. It isn't helpful to having the conversations that we talked about, to having a, an honest conversation about what, you know, how people feel. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it, it leads to sort of hostility. And so, so the protest becomes like a war between, you know, we're the good people and you're the bad people. And of course you're, I mean, there's the, the hypocrisy of, of somebody who eats animals pointing a finger at them is not something you need to worry about because you're actually a vegan so you don't do that but at the same time they could ask you well how come how come you're here rather than at a chicken pro you know processing plant and, then, um, and they did they did ask that question oh that's interesting <laughs> what do people say when they ask that um I, 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 there were a lot of things uh, like well it's not happening in the street They're, you're abusing the chickens you know, and and having read your article <laughs> was so perfect <laughs> for me because I, I feel like maybe that same guy asked me that. And I and I just I don't remember if he did or if I just imagined if someone asked me this, I will say. But I feel like my answer would be that's a great question. Like I, we, I, that that would be just as justified to me. Yeah. Yeah. But then if we did go to the processing plant, couldn't we then say, well, why aren't you at, you know, uh, the dog fighting ring today. You you could say that, but I think that there you have a real answer, which is that the number of animals being harmed for making to make chicken sandwiches and you know chicken meals is so much greater than the number of dogs in, in dog fighting, and that typically people who oppose dog fighting are not fighting for animals generally. I think that's one of the tragedies is that, you know, people get really upset about dog fighting. And my goal for them would be for them to awaken to the fact that, you know, the dogs are victims here, but there are so many victims, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I would rather go after something that kind of unites us all, like all of us, or most of us grew up, you know, eating these things. And so I can say to somebody, you know, I used to do this too. And I thought, oh, I can't stop doing this because it's just, you know, I need it or whatever. And then I learned that I don't need it, that I can do really well without it. And I feel better being at peace with these animals, not harming them. And then we're not talking about some sort of marginal practice that a small group of others engage in, but we're talking about helping animals generally and then, of course, somebody who fights dogs and then gets a vegan consciousness is going to stop fighting dogs. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? In yeah. a way that somebody who, who stops fighting dogs because people protested and they went to jail or whatever is not necessarily going to translate that to anything else. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. There was something I noticed um, what I, cause, because I posted on Facebook a lot about the Kapuras coming up and and after after reading your article and then attending the protests and seeing it, um, it was I, I felt really traumatized by that experience. Yeah. And I wrote about it and and all the previous posts I made where I was really participating in that kind of other mentality, 
Uh Um, I had a lot of people jumping on board about how terrible it was. But the post that I made after where I talked about how terrible it was and then compared it to what happens to chickens who are used for food. Yeah. There was far less uh, community (laughs) in those comments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I bet because that's they don't want to hear that. Yeah, I, I had a I had a letter to the editor in the New York Times a few weeks ago, um, where I was criticizing the sort of do it yourself movement for killing killing animals yourself because that's sort of like Mark Zuckerberg and others think that this is like the ethical way to eat, mm-hmm. and um, so I suggested that it's not, and I also said that you know a vegan diet is really the way that we can live peaceably with our fellow earthlings so we don't need to come up with this way of killing that's nicer or whatever and people would say to me you know i really liked your article and even if you're not vegan you can still like your article and i just thought it was interesting because i thought well the whole point of my of my letter to the editor was that veganism is the right way to do what people are trying to do through quote you know humane slaughter um but but people are are you know they don't want to get on board with the vegan argument because then they would have to become vegan. Right. So they, so they resisted. And it sounds like when you were talking about the protest and you connected it to eating animals, suddenly all of the people who wanted to distinguish this practice from what they do were at a loss because you weren't prepared to distinguish it anymore. Right. It's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it is interesting and to see how people react, you know, and to see uh, what what they'll say and what they'll climb on board. And I think one of the things that troubles me about, you know, single issue campaigns like this, including the sort of dolphin stuff with with Taiji, is that people can then distinguish. They can say, well, I use animals, but I'm better than those people. Do you know what I mean? Right. And and then and then they're content to continue doing what they're doing. And I feel like it's important to unsettle people a little bit, not in a rude way or a mean way, but to unsettle people to make people a little less comfortable about what they're doing and that some of these protests tend to make people feel more comfortable because they can say, "Oh, well, at least I'm not doing that." You know, I don't wear a fur coat and I don't um, I, I don't kill, eat dolphins or I don't eat dogs or whatever it is. And that that's, that just kind of entrenches people in what they're doing and makes them feel really good about themselves mm. doing what they're doing. And they really get mad. <laughs> when you, <laughs> when you, I, I had a friend posting about the, um, oh, I forgot where it was, the dog meat festival in China. Yeah. Um, and I there was a whole thread she had posted about how terrible it was. And these people are barbarians, which is like, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I chimed in in the most polite way I could, yeah. which now I know don't try to do this <laughs> <laughs> where I just, ex- I said, I just said, please try to imagine that this is also what happens to the animals we eat for food. And I didn't say, so you better be vegan or anything like that. It was just right. like, and I, people freaked out and they were not responsive to that at all well because i think that they're probably in a mindset of those people are evil people and when you get them and they're out there with their pitchforks and and that's not a moment of reflection (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly you know somebody's out there with their pitchfork and you say no i want you to do some reflection about your own behavior that that's not the mindset they're in at all 
Right. Because I guess it's good and evil to them right then. And by asking that question, there's like, all right, you're in evil now, dude. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, and so they want to, so they, they feel angry at you. Now you're one, now you're defending the bad guys. Right. Um, And I think it's so much, I mean, what you use the word deflate, and I think that's a good word to describe it, that, that if somebody is in a state of rage and righteous indignation and you can kind of bring them around to seeing their target as just somebody, a fellow person or whatever, who's, who's trying to do the right thing, then they can have a conversation that actually goes somewhere rather mm-hmm. than just having a war. Yeah, it's interesting. I, when I'm asking myself how I will handle it, assuming um, the Kaporis still happens next year, yeah. whether, whether I'll go. I mean, I feel like I would still go to the protests, but if I do, it'll I'll have an even different approach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, a good friend of mine likes to just sort of be on the sidelines and try to have conversations with people. Yeah. Which may be what I try to do. Yeah, no, I think that would be great because, you know, you're you're a great conversationalist and you can talk with people and, you know, and make it clear that you're not there to, you know, to brand them, you know, with a scarlet letter, that you're there. Because, you know, we all know we've all been sort of subject to being branded in some way by somebody who just doesn't understand what's happening with us. And it's it's always so alienating. Um, and I, I think it and I think our first reaction to that is to kind of, you know, if whether it's our parents or whatever, is to get defensive and to try to condemn them right back. And if we can get into that space where we're just open um, and then we can have a conversation, then people start to change. You know, mm. people leave and say, you know, I'm remembering that conversation I had with Michael and, you know, maybe I will try this, you know, uh, whatever Jewish cookbook for vegans or whatever. Maybe I'll try to make a meal out of that. Yeah. Huh. I love it. One, <laughs> one step at a time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we should wrap this thing up. I'm so happy I got to talk to you. Oh, me too. This was great. Um, we, the best place to find you is at, oh no, I just closed the website. It's mind if I order the cheeseburger.com. Is that right? Yeah, that has, that has like reviews and also where you can buy the book and comments on the book and blurbs so people can learn all about the book. Um, and then they can also read my work. I have, um, routinely we'll have columns on verdict dot uh, com and and a, mon- a, a lot of those are about animal issues and also I blog sometimes on dorfonlaw.org about animal issues as well. Perfect. And I'll put links to all of these sites on mikeypod.com in case you don't have your pen and pencil with you to write it down and um, you can get all that stuff there too. Fabulous. Thank Yay. you so much, Michael. Thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'm really grateful to talk sure. to you. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.
from their album Forest Floor that was Colonies with the track Echoes. Uh, the drummer of that band is my pal Adrian, also vegan. Happy to have another vegan on the show. Speaking of amazing vegans, I need to give a thanks to my friend Evan Tash, who uh, set up that interview for me with um, Sherry. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Evan. Evan's a great friend and a great person and just great. We're all just great. So uh, MikeyPod.com for podcast information. MichaelHeron.com for information about me. I've got a special site set up called Drip. Uh, drip.com slash MichaelHeron. You can find all this just from either site. Um, and you can uh, subscribe, get uh, special bonus tracks, uh, insight to my um, POV as a creator of things. And you can also help support my work, which would be tremendously helpful so thank you for everything thanks for listening uh check out sherry's book next week's guest is cynthia hopkins she's got a show out um up right now at the bushwick star it's called the alcoholic movie musical she's a musical performance artist she's really fantastic and i'm super excited uh to share that interview with you guys next week i think that's everything uh just say hi would you just say hi to me? Say, oh, hey, I like your podcast. Don't even, you can just say you listen to it. You don't even have to say you like it. You don't even have to say you listen to it. You can just say you know it exists. You can just say you know I exist. I'm having a moment right now. <laughs> I'm glad I'm feeling funny about it. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. MikeyPod at gmail.com. Um, yeah, talk to you next week. <laughs>